Welcome to Healthy Brain, Happy Body, a podcast from the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. I'm Dr. Saul Rosenthal, a health psychologist in the Boston area, and your host as we investigate the incredible connections between brain and body. Our guide to today is Dr. Mitch Sadoff, a licensed psychologist who has been with bio and neural feedback for over 20 years. In addition to his private practice, he and his wife Angelica Sadar have been working with BrainArc in Switzerland, developing assessments based on EEG and event-related potentials that can be used to guide biofeedback, neural feedback, and psychotherapy. He's also the president of NRBS and is giving a talk to them on November 21st about mindfulness and biofeedback. I asked him about his take on mindfulness, why it is beneficial, and how biofeedback can help an individual develop a more mindful approach to their own life. Mitch, welcome to Healthy Brain, Happy Body. Thank you, Saul. So on November 21st, you're going to be giving a webinar to the NRBS entitled How Biofeedback Can Facilitate the Positive Effect of Mindfulness on the Brain and Behavior. There's a lot of talk today about mindfulness. What, what is it in your perspective? Very good, Saul. Well, first of all, I I would like to say this as a as, as a preface. I do not view myself as a real expert in this area. It's an area where I have an interest. I really think it's important. I do some of this with some of my patients, but there are obviously people out there who are writing about it, speaking about it, doing a lot of things about it. I have not been one of those. So with that with that proviso, I'll say this. I think for me, mindfulness involves a couple of things. It involves quieting the mind and focusing on now, meaning being the observer of what's what's occurring now and that means the sensory input but also being the observer of of uh, the mental processes so a big part and i think a lot of the focus is focusing on now but there's another part to mindfulness that i don't think is as widely talked about or pursued is the working toward the non-judgmental acceptance of what's occurring now. And I think really mindfulness to me is the two of those. And each one brings brings its own benefits, but but ultimately you're working toward the the observation of now but also the non-judgmental acceptance of what that you're observing so it's you see it as sort of two consisting of a two at least two processes with focusing on the here and now and the non-judgmental acceptance of that here and now yes and of course there are lots of psychotherapies it's kind of in vogue in some ways in psychotherapy you've got mindfulness-based psychotherapies you've got acceptance and commitment therapy 
probably all started in a bit with dialectical behavior therapy, which really brought mindfulness into into cognitive behavior therapy. So obviously, it's it's been generally accepted within at least the psychotherapy community, and I think the the world at large. There's a lot of mindful talk about mindfulness, and I'm curious what you see as the, as the benefits, at least at least in the realm of the world we're dealing with. Well, on the first side, on the observation of now and quieting of 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 the mind, I think if you're observing what's occurring now, certainly all the sensory things can only be occurring now. I can only see now, hear now, feel now. Even if I think I'm seeing the past and the future, I'm seeing it now. But so much of the mind's activity is is about the past and the future. And so much of it is what I don't like about the past or what I fear about the future. And so and as a person is able to quiet that thought about the past and the future, so much settles. I mean, it's, it's just a very, very calming situation. So I think that is the main benefit of quieting the mind and focusing on now and largely the sensory now. The other part, the being able to do the non-judgmental acceptance, as we become aware when we do not readily accept, that gives us the opportunity to work on releasing repressed things that that are at the root of, of our lack of, of of acceptance. And so the non-judgmental acceptance is the the pathway to releasing what in the uh, Buddhist world I think are called samskaras, just those those blockages that occur in the body from repressed materials. And I can see where, particularly in, in psychotherapies, that's often, if not a goal, at least an important important steps along the process, sort of calming down the affect, which is often, I think, what's getting in our way or blocking progress. And especially, as you, as you say, when we think about the past, we tend to look at it negatively. That's you know, depression. And when we think about the future, we're, we're afraid of it. That's anxiety. And so with mindfulness, we're trying to try to thread that needle, I guess, between the two, because our brains evolved to do those things, you know, learn from the past mistakes, quote mistakes, and prepare for a dangerous future. I guess what we what we often run into is, at least in our society, we don't live in a world where that's necessary for life and limb. Our brains just don't realize that. It's so so mindfulness is a way you're saying that we can try to get to the what's going on now, the, the now, and also to, to try to let go of what you what you call judgments, and that would be I've done I've done typically negative judgments, although 
both, really. It's not just I've done it bad, but I've also done it good because... I think both. I think because both cloud our perception. So I think ultimately it's both, although obviously most people care about the negative more than a positive, it seems. <laughs> right. Those people don't tend to come see me. Right, right, right. <laughs> You'd also said that a lot of this focuses on the sensory, although you'd, you'd also say that mindfulness can be useful for focusing on mental processes. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, and again, this is just my observation. I think a lot of mindfulness that I have read about, heard about, focuses on focusing on sensory data because sensory data is about now. And as I said, we can only see now, hear now. So the more we're able to just focus on that sensory data, we are in the mind in the now and that mental chatter or the images, the mind produced processing is minimized. And again, the more that we don't focus on the past and the future and so much of that mind processed or that mind generated processing is about the past the future. So the more we can just focus on sensory data, very often that has has a positive effect upon a person. So in a way, sensory f- focus on sensory data. I was going to say kind of nudges us, but that's not very mindful. Allows us to let go of the of more of the mental processes and focus more on the now, which also allows us to not focus so much on those negative feelings that are often associated with past or future uh, mental processes. Yes. The past and the future generally carry an an emotional charge. And the mind left to to its own devices will typically gravitate to where there's an emotional charge. And the the only reality is really now the past and the future only exist in our minds but yet that's that's the source if we really look at it that's the source of the majority of our emotional turmoil well let's let's sort of shift this from the general discussion of of mindfulness to biofeedback what, what do you see as the connection? Well, biofeedback and, and what I'm focusing on in the talk are the so-called peripheral biofeedbacks. And that's about physiology. That's about the body. And biofeedback is a very good way to help, to help a person become more aware of their bodies and their physiology. And, you know, the book, uh, The Body Keeps the Score, very, very popular book. And 
the mind is clever and it really tricks us. The body isn't as clever as 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 the mind is and if we can learn to be aware of the body it gives us a much more valid picture of just what's happening so by focusing on the body through peripheral biofeedback or non neurofeedback biofeedback that helps us focus on the here and now that sensory uh, process that you were talking about yes it it helps us to focus on the here and now, but then going to the other part about the non-judgment. Whenever we judge a thing negatively or positively, there is a physiological reaction. And it's very easy for us to tell ourselves, oh no, I feel fine about that. I'm you know the mind can can really trick us but if we're aware of the body and the breath when we resist reality when we judge it in a way that we want to push it away or pull it into us there is a physiological reaction that that if we become aware of it we can't deny it. I mean, it's uh, we cannot trick ourselves. And so that's one way that biofeedback can almost help measure, not exactly mindfulness, but but the physiology that may relate to it. So if there's like a drop in heart rate variability or a sudden increase in skin conductance, that suggests there's emotional content that's having an impact. Yeah, it can do two things. It can help us kind of get an objective measure is a f- is a person focusing on sensory here and now uh, data but more importantly i think it can give us a measure of is a person judging something or not <laughs> because with a judgment comes a physiological reaction and if the ultimate uh, if the ultimate goal of mindfulness is the non-judgmental acceptance of here and now. Peripheral biofeedback gives us the best ways of really monitoring that. So when somebody is in a mindful state, and I hesitate to use that because I don't think that's exactly how it might be described, at least by the mindfulness people, but for lack of a better term, when people are sort of in that mindful state or non-judgmental state, what would you see in in the physiology? You would see uh, the EMG below three microns. You would you would see the the GSR or the skin conductance below five or so. The HRV, the coherence. Would it be would be good? I mean, everything would would be as uh, the people say it should be. <laughs> right, <laughs> those people. When you're working with someone, and this is an experience I've often had with with clients, particularly anxious clients, when they see the change, when they see their physiology, or we teach them to 
recognize their physiology, that in itself triggers a judgmental and or, or anxious response. So I wonder, how do you manage that? Well, I think that that's very true. And I think in any situation, we, we have two chances for acceptance. So there is, there's an occurrence. And if, if we accept it, there won't be that physiological reaction. But if we fail to accept that, then what is now the opportunity is to accept our physiological reaction. And so it just becomes another chance to relax and release. So using it in a therapeutic fashion yes. as, an, as an opportunity. And one of the things I like about biofeedback is it's because it's, it's internal processes projected externally on a screen, a computer screen. I think that that can often be helpful for people to separate from themselves and, and to focus on, well, let's see what's going on on the screen right now, not how it necessarily feels. Yeah, I think, yes, I, I think for some that's, that, that's very helpful. And it's, it's then the beginning again. They're able to see it here or to hear it if it's... But then, again, ultimately, you want them to relate that to what they're feeling because when they're out in, in the world this becomes the ultimate feedback here. How do you help people with that transition from in-office equipment connected to out in the world? Well, we talk about various ways uh, to practice. I mean, this, this, this requires practice. And, and, you know, most people certainly can't do this at first when they're in real real emotional situation. But if you talk with them about first doing it with low-hanging fruit, there are numerous, numerous situations during, during a day that things occur that, that we judge, but they're relatively minor. And, and those, are, those are very often the ones that I will ask them to focus on first and to be able to, f to recognize it and find a way to relax and release it. And as they gain the competence and the confidence in those relatively simple and not real involved emotional reactions, then we, we begin to build upon that. And, and as you're doing that, as you're helping people or working with people to have them do that out in the world, are there any uh, mindfulness types of exercises that you find are particularly useful for people to do at home? Some of the things that come to mind are, I mean, and I've done this in the past week with a couple of people. I say, take, take the opportunity to lie down, either 
in a bed or on a couch or in a recliner, a situation where it's very, it's very clear you can totally relax your muscles because what you're laying upon will totally support you. There, there is no need for there to be tension anywhere. And, you know, you either do a body scan or do, or do progressive relaxation, but really get yourself as relaxed as you can. But then just become aware of your body and you will probably become aware that, that there will be areas that are going to be tensing up. And it might be for no apparent reason, or it might be because your mind has begun to think about what you're going to do once you leave leave this, or you're going to think about, about a telephone call that you had, or, you know, whatever. And and this begins to give them the awareness of how these these seemingly minor perceptions have an effect upon their bodies. And I also, for a lot of folks, as a part of the relaxation, focus on on their breathing because some people are more adept at seeing, feeling, being aware of the changes in their bodies. Some are more adept at being aware of a change in their breathing, but change occurs in both. Those are like two sides of the, out of a coin. As, as we talked about in the beginning of this of this episode, mindfulness is has been fairly well accepted in psychotherapy, but also kind of out in the greater world. There's a lot of commercialization of it. There's a lot of books and practices and podcasts like this one and, and others that are just about uh, about mindfulness. And in some ways, there's been some backlash against that, against the commercialization and even some concern that there's too much focus on mindfulness as a therapeutic tool. And I'm curious, what, what, what thoughts do you have on that? Are, are, there, are there negative effects of, of mindfulness? Well, the human mind can take anything and make it into a negative. And so I guess one, one could worry that one would become overly focused on your own physiology and you would become overly focused. You know, it could lead to a kind of a self-focus. But I, Saul, I, I think if it's, if it's appropriately applied, I don't see how those negatives will be the ultimate result. I, I just, I personally don't, don't see it because I think appropriately applied, what it leads to is a person become, becoming aware of their true self and getting away from their ego. I think a lot of the negative talk about it is the collective ego because the ego doesn't want 
to lose control. And I think mindfulness is a path to minimizing the control of 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 the ego and i think that that ultimately can only be a good thing the keywords perhaps being or at least some of them uh, appropriately applied well sure so I, I do like to end these discussions with one thing questions if that's if that's okay what what is one thing our audience should take away from this discussion um that's a very good question and i guess maybe it's that Mindfulness does involve both learning to focus on the now, which which means taking away the mind's predilection to the past and the future, but it also involves the non-judgmental acceptance of the now. And I think that is the ultimate the ultimate goal of it. But you can't get to the second one without first working on the first one. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's not it's not that it's necessarily complicated, it's just really hard. It's very hard. It's very I tell people when I begin doing this, I say be gentle with yourself. I'm giving you exercises that will seem to you that they should be very simple. But your mind's going to wander. That's what the mind does. And it's not, it, even though you're telling your mind what you want it, want it to do, you're going to learn that your mind has, has, has developed a mind of its own. And it's, it's going to fight you. And it's been doing that for the majority of your lifetime without you being real aware of it. Now you're going to become aware of it. So when the mind wanders, don't say, oh, there, it happened again. What's the matter? No. When you become aware and you bring it back, that's the time to celebrate. That's when the universe chimes. That's a beautiful thing. Well, in, in that case, what, what, is, uh, what is one mindfulness practice that you use for yourself? Saul, I've I've worked, I mean, I've worked over the years on on a lot of them. The place that I think I am now is I want to be aware that I am aware. It's not enough to just be aware. I want to be consciously aware that I am aware and that's when i think that i have the the possibility of choice willpower is a very 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 tricky subject but if there is free will i think it is only when i am consciously aware if i'm not i'm so the mindfulness practice that i I work on being consciously aware that I am aware when I'm alone, and then I, I work at bringing that to situations in, in my real life. So it's almost a meta-awareness, an awareness of awareness. Yes, because, you know, and I, I don't want to get too woo-woo here, but, but, but I think 
ultimately my true self is awareness. And so when I am aware that I am aware, that is when I, I am at the best that I'm going to be. That certainly, we can go in so many directions with that. And whether <laughs> it's woo-woo sure. or discussion about what, what is the unconsciousness, what is the soul. But I think we should, we'll end it up there and let, let our audience debate it among themselves, or at least think about it. So, so Mitch, thank you so much for joining us here on Healthy Brain, Happy Body. Saul, it's uh, it's a pleasure. I appreciate I appreciate you, and I appreciate you know what that you asked me. Uh, this was fun. That's that's one of the goals. So I look forward to your talk on the twenty first on November twenty first, and and of course we'll have links in the show notes to the registration. Thanks again, Saul. You are listening to Healthy Brain, Happy Body. I'm your host, Dr. Saul Rosenthal. Our guide today was Mitch Sadar clinical psychologist, expert on biofeedback and neurofeedback, and president of the NRBS. He is giving a webinar on November 21st about mindfulness and biofeedback. You can join the webinar or access the recording at the NRBS website. Subscribe to this podcast by clicking the subscribe here link or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy it, please subscribe, rate us, and leave reviews at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Reviews help us to get more listeners, and that's more people who can learn about and benefit from biofeedback and neurofeedback. Also, let us know what you think by sending us email. Our address is healthybrain at nrbs.org. Healthy Brain, Happy Body is produced and edited by me. The theme music is Catch It by Coma Media. It is a production of the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. Go to nrbs.org to find out more about the organization, including our trainings, monthly webinars, and yearly conference. All opinions expressed are those of our guests and not the NRBS. This podcast is not meant to replace advice from qualified healthcare providers. Be sure to join us on our next episode as we continue to explore the keys to our well-being on Healthy Brain, Happy Body.